So the reading is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, until chapter 13, verse 1. And that's page 1,153 in the Church Bibles. So unity and diversity in the body. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, for all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. And so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacks it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, to all work miracles, to all have gifts of healing, to all speak in tongues, to all interpret, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. Love is indispensable. And yet, I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Thanks be to God. Evening, everybody. Sorry for the crackle. We'll try and figure out what's going on with that. Hope it's not too distracting. Think of what we asked that 25-year-old woman all those years ago. To be the person who is so globally trusted that her image should be on every unit of our currency, to whom every minister of the crown swears allegiance, and for whom every member of our armed services is pledged, if necessary, to lay down their lives. Think what we asked of her in that moment, not just to be the living embodiment in her DNA of the history and continuity of this country, uh, history and continuity and unity of this country, but to be the figurehead of our entire system. The keystone in the vast arch of the British state, a role that only she could fulfill, because in the brilliant and durable bargain of the Constitution monarchy, only she could be trusted to be above any party political or commercial interest and to incarnate impartially the very concept and essence of the nation. Think what we asked of her and think what she gave. She showed the world not just how to reign over people. She showed the world how to give. 
how to love and how to serve. So said Boris Johnson, who unexpectedly gave, I think, one of the best tributes to Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. And he managed to, I think, articulate, uh, articulately and, and movingly capture uh, what a lot of us were, were thinking. Now, when you reflect on her legacy, it is extraordinary to think that she inspired so many people around the world with her example of faithfulness and service and joy in doing it. And in the course of her lifetime, and now in her death, she united so many millions in a sense of identity, value, and purpose. And yet, in our passage tonight, the Word of God says to us, if you think that's something, let me show you the church. If you think the queen was remarkable, then let me tell you about Jesus and his people. Because in Jesus, and as we've heard already, or someone who the queen served faithfully, in Jesus we find the greatest example of someone who lived a perfect life that demonstrated truly what it is to give and to love and to serve. And here's the extraordinary thing from my passage tonight. We as the church, well, we are to incarnate impartially the very concept and essence, not of the nation, but of the kingdom of God. As Darren said, tonight is the second of our series, thinking about what it is to be God's gifted people. And uh, thank you to Matt for reading, by the way. What he read was uh, part of a letter to the Corinthian church. Now, the church in Corinth, it was in a city that was extraordinary, really, for its day. It was a, a multicultural melting pot of, of cultures and races and, and languages. Corinth was a, a diverse, prosperous port city with commerce and trade leading to a lot of um, prosperity and, and, and progress. Now, there are lots of good about that, of course, but there were many downsides, too. Individualism, a competitive way of life that brought great prosperity for some, but severe poverty for others. And with that diversity, what came conflicts, debauchery, people left unchecked, and selfishness. And something of that had seeped into the church. Now, Paul has already been rebuking them for a number of things, including some immorality that was going on amongst them. And it seems that a big issue that they had in their gatherings was a misunderstanding of spiritual gifts. Now, some of them had a sense that some members of the church were far superior to others, and particularly around the gift of tongues, who had it. If you had it, then you were the super-Christians. If you didn't, then you were sort of second-class believers. So Paul, in this, in this passage tonight, moves to, to rebuke them, to correct that way of thinking. And he starts, if you pick up a Bible and turn back to chapter 12, picking again from verse 12, Paul starts by reminding them of their unity. Did you pick that up in verses 12 and 13? Paul says, just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now the New Testament uses, uses a lot of um, different pictures to show us what um, the, the church is like and how we relate to Jesus. 
things that show our connection to him, a vine and branches, a bride and his bridegroom, temple and a cornerstone. And today, Paul uses the image of the body. It's one that Paul uses several times, actually. And verse 12 is interesting because you might expect Paul to finish that sentence just uh, as a body has many parts, so it is with the church. But actually what Paul says is so it is with Christ. There's something very profound and glorious about that. There is a oneness to the church and Jesus that is far beyond a queen and her subjects. That's not that we lose Christ's difference from us. He is God. He is to be worshipped and revered. But Paul is saying it's right also to think of the church as joined with him as a body. He is one. And do you see how that happens in verse 13? That all people are baptized by the one spirit and given the one spirit to drink. So it's Jesus himself then, by the Holy Spirit, who has joined us, all believers, together with him. And that is true of everyone who puts their faith in him, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. No difference, no distinction, all united with Jesus and each other by the Spirit. You can imagine perhaps um, a group of people, different ages, genders, wealthy, poor, different backgrounds and so on. Imagine them walking desperately through a desert, dirty, exhausted, heading towards death until they come to an oasis. And suddenly they're all diving in together, drinking deeply until their thirst is quenched and their bodies washed clean, all bound up together by that water, surrounded by it, filled with it. That's the picture Jesus is, is giving us with these words. The unity he creates by his spirit is how we can be thought of as being one body, same spirit, to be filled with surrounded by, united together, and as we thought about a couple of weeks ago, gifted to Jesus. So Paul starts by reminding them of their unity, their oneness in Christ. But yet within that oneness, we retain a diversity. So we're united, but we're different. That's what we see in the next little chunk. Now Paul goes on to use that metaphor of the body to show us uh, what it means. Remember, he started by saying that we're many, but we're one. Well, now he says we're one, but we're many still. Let me just read through 14 to 16 again. So the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. So we firstly see that though we're united to Christ, we're still different from, from each other. And more than that, it's necessary for us to keep that diversity in order for the body to function properly. Now, I think these verses are probably the closest Paul gets to stand-up comedy. I don't know if you picked that up. He's using humor to make his points. That would be a nonsense, wouldn't it, for a, a foot to look at a hand and think, well, because we're different, we're not part of the same body, or for an ear, to do the same with an eye. And Paul says in verse 17, imagine a body that was entirely an eye or entirely an ear. 
be grotesque, it'd be ridiculous, wouldn't it? And it'd be totally inadequate. It wouldn't be able to perform all the functions that a body needs to perform. An eye has no sense of hearing. An ear has no sense of smell. I don't know about you, but it made me think of um, the great eye of Sauron in The Lord of the Rings. Yeah, he's pretty, pretty powerful, pretty formidable. But he needs his gangs of orcs, doesn't he, to get everything done. And uh, you could argue that his main problem was he didn't hear the little hobbits coming with their hairy feet. So as a body is made up of many parts, that is what it means to be the body of Christ. And God, did you see that in verse 18, has placed every one of them just where he wanted them. There's a danger, I think, as Christians that we can make sometimes, is that we mistake unity for uniformity. You know, we, we try and get everyone to be alike, you know, speak in the same way, using the same kind of Christian jargon, maybe wearing the same clothes, nice pair of chinos and so on. You've got to put on the same sort of events, the same kind of programs, that's what it means. That's not what Jesus is after. Now, one commentator put it like this. He said that it's as if God has made snowflakes, everyone unique, and we turn them into ice cubes, you know, fill in those little trays that you put in the freezer, popped out of a mold. That's not what we're looking for. That's not what Jesus has created. Now, for the church of Christ to function properly, it is essential that there is diversity amongst its members, and everyone has a unique part to play. All of us do. So Paul would say to us, know your value, therefore, as part of the body of Christ. I think one of the things that Paul is trying to correct here is to stop people feeling like they have nothing to contribute. Have you ever feel like that? Now, it might not be totally obvious to us, but I think with Paul's choice of body parts so far, he's trying to show that some might feel inferior to others. I guess hands are, are used more than feet. Perhaps we might think that sight's more valuable than hearing. And it's very easy for us to, to look at others and think that we are less important than them. We don't have as big a skill set. Or even sometimes perhaps we just think, what can our influence really do here? Sometimes I feel like that when I look at the wider world around me. You know, how much difference does it really make putting plastic bottles in the recycling in the grand scheme of climate change compared to those who could stop the Amazon being chopped, chopped down, for example, you know? Just giving £10 a month to charity really do much good compared to those wealthy philanthropists. I can feel like that in church too, as well, can't we? You come on a Sunday and perhaps you think that you've got nothing to contribute compared to others. It's easy to look sideways and feel inferior. You look at the people, I don't know, up front, those leading a children's group. Well, those just seem so naturally confident and warm, love meeting new people. Why can't I be like that? Well, look, our passage today says there's no place for that. Everybody is different. Everybody is vital to the healthy functioning of the body of Christ. I've been trying to think this week of all the different ways that people can serve each other here at Christchurch. And it's, it's an utterly impossible, ridiculous task. You know, you can start by thinking of all the things that maybe happen on a Sunday. You know, you've got your preaching, your service leading. Bible readings, leading the prayers, being in the music team, sound desk, slides, Sunday club leaders, youth group leaders, host team, welcoming people, serving tea and coffee, all those who clean the building, moving chairs. Lots of stuff goes on on a Sunday, doesn't it? Massive diversity. 
or about during the week, all the things that goes on, being part of a, a small group, designing publicity, people who print flyers, cooking meals for Tuesday Central, sorting out the disorganized music folders. That wasn't me, by the way. Fixing the IT problems, preparing food for Lunch Plus, organizing the church prayer diary, endless office tasks, all the stuff that goes on in the week. But you know, most of the stuff that, that goes on, the ways people serve, we have no idea about. The conversations that people have to encourage a Christian friend over a coffee, a sandwich bought for a man on the streets, an act of hospitality, those faithful and devoted in prayer on their knees behind closed doors. And that's just me trying to think of different ways that people might serve. And that's to say nothing about the diversity amongst us in other ways, the different nationalities that we are, ethnicities, cultural backgrounds, family histories, our colour, our age, relationship status, subjects we're studying at college, what job we do, or about our different temperaments, our characters, our passions. You know and love the Lord Jesus, do you see how valuable you are to him with all your uniqueness? Do you see that you have been brought into his body, bound up with him, not just to bring us salvation, but because he's made each of us to fulfill a function that only we can do. God determines the exact times and places for us to live, and he wants us to serve the church, both this local church, and through that, by serving the global church, the historic church of Christ. That is all believers in all places at all times. If you feel like you have nothing to contribute, then Jesus says you absolutely do, and you must. He's made you to do so. So we're united, but different. So know your value. And secondly, we're united and dependent. United and dependent. That's what I think we see in verses 21 to 26. Because if some have a tendency to feel inadequate, maybe useless, then others might be tempted to feel superior and look down on others. But again, Paul says, no, everyone is important. And more than that, we need each other. Now, this would have been really countercultural stuff for the Corinthians. Remember, a, a melting pot of, of jostling, of individualism, status and hierarchy, money and power. Who's got the most? Would have been really countercultural for them. But it's countercultural for us as well, isn't it? I think one of the big drivers of our culture today is still that same individualism one-upmanship. You don't need others. You go and pursue what you want to do. Easy for us to get caught up in that as well. But look how Paul counteracts that. Let me read from verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern 
for each other. And do you see how Paul there is flipping cultural norms on their heads? Here, the, the people who, who you might think are the least valuable, well, they're the ones who are indispensable and should be given particular honour. So easy to get that wrong, isn't it? Do you ever sit through uh, the end credits of a film? Yeah, probably not. It's about the stars, isn't it? But then there's thousands upon thousands of people who've been involved in making that film. And coming back to the body metaphor. Now, look, I'm not a biologist by any stretch of the imagination. But I'm pretty sure that almost all of the things that keep us alive are inside our bodies, right? Unseen. You know, we've got the skin, right? We've got the hands and feet and faces, lots of useful things there we can see, absolutely. But how about the eternal organs, the hearts, the, just one heart, the heart, the lungs, the bones that make up our skeleton, the muscles and tendons and sinews? How about the veins, blood vessels, nervous system? How about the 37 trillion cells that are within every single one of us? Do you see then how crazy it is to be tempted to think that the members that we, we can see, those ones that we think may be more valuable, well, it's dreadful to think that they really are, and dreadful to look down upon others, therefore, as if we are somehow superior to anybody else. No, Jesus has made us all part of the royal family of the King of Kings. So know the value of others. Know your value, but know the value of others as well. Did you see how the section ended there? To have equal concern for one another. In verse 26, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now just, just let that sink in for a moment about how extraordinary a vision that is. Now Paul would have particularly had the, the wealthy in mind, of whom there were many in the church. And he's challenging them not to look down on those who are poorer, and rather to elevate them, giving them the honor that they lack. We heard, didn't we, earlier already about the queen and how much she was concerned for all of her subjects. But it's also a challenge to those who are poorer, that the lower status, not to envy the wealthy, or to think that I don't need to worry about them because they've got everything. No, that they are to care for them as well, to show equal concern for one another. And it's the same for whatever way we might divide people. I wonder how you might do that yourself. We can all do this in some way. We will find a way to have a hierarchy in our heads, a way that we might be tempted to feel superior over others because we have it. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's, maybe it's intelligence. Maybe it's academic success. And I studied at Oxford Brookes University. Um, there's another university in Oxford you might have heard of. I really look down on those guys. Wow. Bunch of duffers. Maybe it's career. Maybe it's what job you, you have compared to others. Your title. Uh, are you an assistant or are you a, an associate or are you a manager? Director. Maybe it's your relationship status. Maybe it's where you live, the size of your house, how, how close you are to Cambridge City Centre. 
Maybe it's how easy your life is, or maybe it's how hard your life is compared to others. Sometimes that can be like a badge of honor. Or maybe it's church. Maybe it's back to the heart of what Paul is talking about. Maybe the way that you serve you feel is more important than others. And Paul says, stop. Stop. You are to have equal concern for one another because we are all interdependent. We cannot function properly without each other. And more than that, Jesus has ordained his church, his global church, but including this church as a tiny part of that. He's, he's built it this way so that everyone can serve and love one another. So that when one person suffers, all suffer with them. Now, with the biology, biology analogy, that makes sense, doesn't it? If you stub your toe, your whole body knows about it. If you have a disease, it affects all of you, doesn't it? So when one person suffers in the church, we should all feel that pain and want to help and heal in whatever ways we can. It doesn't mean necessarily that we have to know everything that's going on with everybody, but when we find ourselves able to help, whoever it is, then we should. It's the same with rejoicing. Now, it's perhaps easier on the face of it to be joyful when others are joyful, when they're doing well, but it can be hard sometimes too. Perhaps we, uh, a bit of envy creeps in when we see others having success. Maybe we have a temptation to knock them down a peg or try and lift ourselves up. But no, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. That's how we function as we should as the body of Christ. And that's how we best reflect what Jesus is like. Even though he's the king and the creator of the universe, he came as a servant to lay down his life for others. Everywhere he went during his time on earth, he showed concern for those most in need, the poor, the sick, the weak, the broken. So as we're now joined with him, so we must reflect that same attitude towards others, driven not by personal ambition or even a sense of obligation, but as Paul goes on to write about in chapter 13, by love. We haven't got time to look at these verses, but that's where Paul goes on. That is the most excellent way that Jesus calls us to. And that's what he has given us, filled us with his spirit to go out and fulfill. So we're united but different, united but dependent. To know your value and know the value of others. I started by reading um, a bit of one of the many tributes to Queen Elizabeth. I want to finish just by reading a short funeral notice of someone else, my, my grandfather-in-law, who died a week ago. It says this, uh, Richard Morris Harris passed away peacefully on 11th September 2022, aged 93 years. He was a devoted husband of 71 years to Barna, wonderful father to Marilyn, Jenny and Nigel, dearly loved father-in-law, brother, grandpa and great-grandpa, and a central part of the local community in his role as a pharmacist on the Gloucester Road for 27 years, this is in Bristol. He set an excellent example of marriage. Rich and Varner said they loved each other every day. He demonstrated the importance of family and his legacy lives on in his children, grandchildren and great-grandchildren. He was a humble gentleman whose Christian faith was seen in his constant concern for others ahead of himself. He'll be much missed by all who knew him. Now, I probably only met him 
less than 20 times. But I can testify that he was a wonderful example of a selfless, faithful man whose Christian faith shone out of him and uh, had a significant impact on his family, on his local community, and his church, just quietly getting on with serving every day in a very understated way. Now, you probably haven't heard of him until now. But I hope that we all know people like him who encourage us and spur us on in our faith, perhaps even we depend on in a good way. But I hope also that we see how wonderful it is when all of us, as part of the body of Christ, strive to live out our faith in that way of humble love and service. Now, very few of us will have uh, the global influence that the Queen did. But all of us are appointed by God to serve him and his people with the gifts and the character and the time that he has given us in the place that we are. So let's get on and serve him and his people. Never doubt the value you have as one uniquely made and united with Christ. And never lose sight of how much we need each other. We'll stop there and give you a moment to pray. And, and Darren will come and finish our time together.